0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Grant McMillan and I fight against illness, imagined illness, and the fickle finger of good timing to discuss the first issue of Nameless by Grant Morrison, Chris Burnham, Superman number 38 by Jeff Johns and John Romita Jr., the Multiversity Guidebook by Grant Morrison and many, many hands, but especially Marcus Toe and Paolo Sequeira, Batman Eternal, World's End and Future's End by many more people, and the sculptor by just one people, Mr. Scott McCloud. Speedy but sensible show notes await you at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening.
1: Jeff Lester,
0: Graham McMillan, how you doing, sir?
1: Uh, let's just say that Portland is Plague Central right now. Oh, Portland God. is crazy-ass lurky town. And so... This is a special episode of Weight Watch called The Weight Tea Party, where Jeff and I discuss right-wing politics. No, that's not right. Where I am <laughs> going to be drinking tea for the entire length of the podcast, because otherwise I'm just going to not be able to talk.
0: I was about to say, you sound mightily congested.
1: Yeah, I am. And this is the best I've been for a week. Last okay. night was the first night, I shit you not, since Tuesday of last week, where I have slept through the night.
0: Oh God, Graham!
1: i not actually just like woken myself up because I couldn't breathe, which happened twice. <laughs> I woke up and I was like,
0: <gasps> <sighs> "Oh God, that is the worst. That's <laughs> among the worst ways to wake up." I have to say.
1: Oh, it it definitely gets you awake though. That's the thing. Oh yeah, there's there's no there's no fast You know, I uh, I don't really want to wake up. It's you're very much in a moment. Yeah, you're your your body is what? Like, I, what is going on?
0: How can I flee? Where do I flee to? What's happening? Why do I feel like I just almost died? Uh wow. Well Graham, I'm So
1: yeah. So what is hilarious is mm-hmm. um I've been I've been very sick. Mm-hmm. And it turns out lots of people in Portland are very sick. I was actually uh hanging out with Rachel Edden earlier on this week mm-hmm. and I felt like she and I were having competing which one of us is going to cough up a lung first contest. <laughs> oh god. Um, and Kate is now getting sick. Oh, like as no. Like, pretty much as soon as I turned the corner from, like, just horribly sick to getting better, mm-hmm. Kate was like, yeah, I'm not feeling good. Wow. And sure enough, like, as I'm getting better, she's getting worse.
0: Wow. Wow. Lurky town.
1: Lurgy town. Mm. I, I really was not joking last week when – oh, yeah, listeners, you should know that Jeff and I considered doing a podcast in our week off. Uh, because we have weird schedule stuff coming up, and I pretty much was like, "I'm so sick. This would be a terrible idea." And I'm not joking. I would, I would have maybe made it ten minutes before we would have had to
0: stop. Oh God. Ugh. Well, that's. Uh, I uh, on the one hand, I'm so sorry to hear that. However, the 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 terrible person part of me that's like, "Oh, thank God, it wasn't all my fault then," because we were... oh, wasn't it, wasn't even vaguely your fault. Yeah,
1: it really was. Like, even, yeah, I would have said no, no matter what else was going on.
0: Wow okay well that that is that is reassuring for me, but holy smokes that's just that is just a long ass time i I kind of hope you know its it's funny I really do um I don't think of myself as a hypochondriac, but <laughs> Jeff, you're very much a hypochondriac what what are you
1: talking about? <laughs> you you don't-, don't think you're a hypochondriac really Seriously? I really don't do you think I am? Uh, I don't think you're hypochondriac about yourself. I think you're hypochondriac about illnesses that are out there and their severity. Okay. Is that more paranoia than hypochondria? Probably. uh, Probably. No, I mean... It's probably straight up hypochondria.
0: See, I I suppose. I think I'm a very impressionable human being. Probably too much so. Because seriously, anyone talking to me about how sick they are, I can feel myself start to... Actually, there was... Two separate episodes uh, this week where I was suddenly, like, just boiling hot and kind of congested. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh shit, knows. I'm getting sick. Oh, no. Fuck. Ah. And you,
1: have a, you have a trip.
0: Like, you're actually going somewhere. I know, somewhere which like, I was yeah. totally, yeah, freaking out about. It. I'm like, no, not before I go on a trip. No, I can't afford to travel sick. Ah, no. Ah, blah, ah. And then, fortunately, the person right next to me... After I spent like eight minutes, like looking down this dim, sorry, you know, malady-ridden future, said, "Is it really hot in here?" <laughs> so <laughs> twice, that, I've been like, that, oh,
1: is a, God. "That is the best thing." When yeah. you're convinced you're getting sick, you're like, "God, it's boiling." What is going on? Oh shit, I must have a fever. And then someone else independently would be like, it's really warm in here. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's... the best feeling of, oh, it's not me. Oh, <laughs> right, exactly. God. I gotta, I'm off the hook. Yeah, it's totally true. But, uh, I don't, I don't, I, it's funny because I have known people who, um, did that, do that thing where they like, uh, like hold, um, like a, a handkerchief in their hands or something when they ride on public transit. So they're not g- gripping like um, exposed surfaces with their with their bare hands or something. And I, I'm always like, Pff. or I can like sit next to someone who's like just coughing and coughing and coughing and coughing. And, coughing. and for the most part, I'm like, I-, I find it annoying, but I'm not like, oh, now I feel infected. But Exactly,
1: um- yes. Because you coughed.
0: Yes, exactly. But have someone, like, tell me, just like you're telling me now about these things. And I'm like, oh, God, I can I sound congested now. I can actually feel it. Oh, I wonder if I'm going to be able to sleep tonight, you know, so.
1: Well, the best part was uh, I, I can tell you exactly when I realized that I was going to get sick. And it was two days before I got sick. Okay. Because, uh, as you know, uh, Kate and I went away with friends. That's uh, right to a cabin in the woods, like, a couple of weeks ago, um, and we, what, the child, the one of the people we went away with, as we were all leaving, was like, uh-oh, I don't think I want to go to school tomorrow. I'm not feeling that well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, that's terrible. You just don't want to go to school. And her mother looked at me and was like, no, she's been kind of sick for the last couple of days. And that was the point where I was like, oh, I'm going to get sick. <laughs> I, I i've been in I've been in this cabin with this child who's been sick for the last couple of days. I know i'm going to get sick,
0: oh man, let me tell you your wonderful friends are terrible, terrible people because <laughs> That's the kind of thing you're supposed to fully disclose before the trip, not at the end. It's like, oh, no, she's not lying. She almost died. It's like, then why have I been sharing air with her in seclusion for the last 48 hours? She's been sticking her fingers in my mouth for the last two days. Uh, I thought it was cute. Right. Exactly. Well, there is that. Like, I I definitely have spent some time with the nieces uh, recently. In fact, just yesterday I was at the park and the two-year-old pretty much insists on feeding me and every time I'm like, oh, Jesus, you know what I mean? It's just like, ah, this is, this is so tempting fate because, because kids, they're just, they're just little disease carriers. Like it oh, yeah. is the optimal they, they condition just, for just them. They
1: have it with them at all times. Yeah. Anytime, yeah. Even when they're healthy, there's sickness around.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. These tiny little harbingers of doom. So. You know, I, I'm always like, okay, maybe this will actually help my immune system. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. I'm going to hang out with kids a lot because then I'm going to get healthier. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, so that, that has been like the last week. Uh, it's just been like feeling stupidly sick. And I think I told you this in email. Um, There was one point where I was just convinced I was going to get better. And I woke up the next morning and I was just feeling sick again. I was mm-hmm. like, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. <laughs> I, like, fuck you, buddy. I really thought you, I thought we'd talked about this.
2: <laughs> exactly. I, I, I,
0: really, I thought we'd come to an understanding. What do you mean I'm not healthy yet? Totally. Totally. That is, that is a drag. I, I do, because for me, I'm always, whenever I, I'm, 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 I'm a crazily dire, diurnal person. You know, I didn't even realize it, but it's like when I have a cold, I'm always like, okay, I feel great. It's like 2 p.m. I look fine. And then like around 4 p.m. or something, I start being like, and then by 630 or 7 p.m. I'm just like, I just want to go to bed. You know, I just, I, my body just totally is like, okay, if you, I'm I'm actually, I'm really
1: good at being sick. mm I am. I really like, I'm, I'm. I just like okay. What do I have to take care of today? I'll take care of it. Then I'll just quietly go and sit down somewhere. I, I'm not one of those people who's like I like I'm sick. Therefore, I'm going to tell you all that I'm
0: dying. Oh, you mean um, you mean me? In other words, no, I no. <laughs> Why are you like that? No, 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 no. I, I don't think so. What happens is I get sick, but I I will not hesitate to play the I'm just going to stay at home card and like sit around and watch Transformers movies. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Um, but what I was going to say is this, that at some point last year, I got really sick. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you
1: remember, but like I got far more, far more sick than I was sick this time. Mm. Uh, and that's how Kate knew that I was really sick because I was like, I'm I'm not feeling well. I'm yeah. really not feeling well. And she's like,
0: you never say that. Yeah. If you're not saying that, it must be bad. Right. 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 Whereas me, because I'm always Mr. Like, oh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, especially I've been talking to someone like you, I'll be able to get off the phone and be like, Oh, but uh, I do remember one time, like Edie and I were going out for one of our little walks and we were going to hike up the hill. And like, we were maybe like two thirds of the way or maybe not that halfway at, at best. And all of a sudden I was like, I, I have to stop. I have to stop. And she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I just, I don't, it was really weird. I really had that strange kind of like. I just felt like really winded and terrible, and and then afterwards is when I proceeded to just get crazily sick for me, you know, throwing up and stuff. And of course, it was it was literally the weekend that we first had June over for a sleepover. Oh
1: god. It's great timing. Oh, I
0: know. The timing was so terrible. Come
1: over, June. Come into our plague house.
0: Our plague house. Well, you know, honestly, the thing that was amazing was uh, uh in, in what happened was I got sick on, like, I don't know, I think it was a Friday or something like that. And Saturday I was supposed to work and didn't. I just stayed home miserable. And then June was coming over kind of that night. So I was through with a good chunk of my Heavy duty vomiting and feverishness, but it would be these amazing situations where she would show up and it'd be like, Hey, June, hey. And then we would like go out and play in the playground or something like that, and then come back and literally, I'll
2: I'll, I'll
1: be right back. Yeah, totally. Go Go into the next room
0: and just be like, like I would just go, I would just go and collapse. Like I would take 20 minute naps while like Eddie distracted her with like the iPad. You know, and then is, come back. It out. is really funny
1: when you try and hide sickness from someone. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, like I want to say there was a time where I was sick and Kate's mother was visiting. Oh God! And I and I was just like. You know, I'm fine. Right. I'm completely fine. Yeah. And then like as soon as kids, because kids' mother tends to fall asleep early because she's East Coast, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: you know, so, so she'll make it to like maybe eight o'clock at night and then she's like, I'm feeling kind of tired. I remember as so soon as she said anything like that, I'd be like, okay, now is my, now I can just like breathe out. Right. <laughs> and so I go from like, I'm keeping it together to Bleh.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> But that's what it's like. You, you, try, you try and act like you're healthy when you're not, and you can keep it together for so long, but then when you, like, you're like, okay, I can relax, your body's just like, well, fuck you for putting me through that. Oh, yeah, exactly.
0: It's like, you're paying for it, mister. This is going to, I assure you, this will be like, you know, 20% worse than if you just like, you know, been a bit big baby about it and crawled into bed, so...
1: Exactly, yeah. If you'd actually been sensible and right. just taken some type to yourself, right. You this would have been over a day ago.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: As it is, you're going to be sick for a fucking week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is, I think that's my secret. Like, Edie never gets sick, but when I get sick, it's over pretty quick because I, I, I like to think because I am such a spoiled fop when it happens. It's just, I'm just totally like, oh... <laughs> That's not even spoiled for
1: operate. That's just recognizing that your body's like, just fucking stop, okay?
0: Oh, whatever. You you say this, but I also know you're like, you know, I'm sure part of the reason why you're sick is you totally worked like a fucking bastard over the last, you know, week. Oh, I, no. well, yeah, I mm-hmm. did. But I,
1: that's, that's uh, as much as anything, my own neuroses about thinking that I can't say no. Right. Yeah. As it was, I took, I ended work early quote-unquote on the friday Mm because i was just like i was literally doing everything that i absolutely had to Mm -hmm. like would not get out of doing
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and even then i felt guilty as shit i felt so bad wow and i was like i i'm sorry i've only written three thousand words today you guys (laughs) but i i really did just feel (laughs) like terrible (laughs) and there's like this voice in the back of my head is like you know You've been working since six o'clock in the morning. It is now three o'clock in the afternoon. You can stop, but I still just felt terrible. Right, right. It's <laughs> it's that I, I think you're much better than me in that regard. Though Ooh. I really I think, I, I think it, my it, approach is terrible. right. I
0: you know your approach is <laughs> terrible in a way that ma- will manage to keep you successful and well known. But I will I will die in relatively luxurious obscurity. Um, maybe after you do, I don't know. It never works out that way because you know, once you got fame, you got access to the quality healthcare, Graham. I, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's it. That's why I do it, Jeff. First of
0: all, for the fame,
1: I'm saying the quality healthcare,
0: <laughs> dude. I'm telling you, it's like you got to talk to those Man, people. I'm,
1: I'm doing all of this wrong.
0: Yeah, you totally, you totally are. You totally are. Let me tell you, because. Um, Because there's there's nothing else. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Grab. Yeah. It's because you're. It's it's because nobody wants to tell you. No one wants to turn around and be like, oh, you freelanced for Playboy's website. Okay, don't tell anyone. But here's the Playboy key to the top line quality. You know, hospitals that we keep in every city, and just tell them you want the Hefner, and you know you. (laughs) Hey, I'd it's i'd like the a please yeah exactly it's before you know it you've got like wait where did this child's heart come from don't it doesn't matter it doesn't matter just we're putting it in your chest mr millen M- we're totally revitalizing you. you you are now officially 10 years younger please don't change it on your birth certificate cuz it'll be very confusing when social security comes around but you know you're technically you really are you're now a younger man than when you walked in so man i i am um... I'm doing it all wrong. If
1: I I didn't even know the Hefner existed.
0: Oh yeah, God! You you've got you should really complain to whoever your online editor is. How do you think fucking Harvey Kurtzman and Will Elder got to be like 115 years old? You know, considering when they they're, grew up, they're there. pure
1: hearts. And <laughs> yeah, they're right. I,
0: little Annie I... Fanny, my friend. Little Annie Fanny. Look at all the cartoons. But it could have been
1: so much worse.
0: <laughs> what do you mean? It could have been, I'm trying to think of
1: something, i to think of something that was worse than Little Annie, Annie Fanny, but wasn't that, like, downright offensive. <laughs> I like, my mind
0: just went to, like, terrible places. Yeah, exactly. You're like, ah... <laughs> say little annie fanny wasn't so bad and it's i mean you know technically kind of unreadable and weird and obsolete but like it's not it's not a it well like, disco- what's hmm? I'm not even sure i've ever read little annie fanny first of all i would be surprised if you had cuz i can't really imagine it being something i i don't know i just I did, did was there is is are there playboys in scotland when you're growing up or is that a thing <laughs> or I, do you guys I, I mean, have indoor plumbing? Playboy is like one of the most famous brands in the world. Well, sure, in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can get it everywhere. I mean, You know what I mean? Like New York City is known throughout the world. That doesn't mean that everyone's been there. I, I don't know. Besides, it's Scotland. I sort of figured you guys just had like sexy magazines of smoked meat and like, I don't know, guys <laughs> punching each other or something. I don't know. Oh my- Oh my god! <laughs> um, I'm now looking up Little Annie to see if I I have actually
1: read it. Cause I don't think I have. Wow. Uh, no, I definitely haven't.
0: Yeah, you look- know, right I, I think I, I think Dark Horse like released a collection. Of there, there's, it, like, a yeah, there's years definitely ago. a
1: uh, yeah, there's definitely a collection which was put out by. Playboy? No, that's not right. The first collection was put up by Playboy Press apparently. Yes, way back
0: when. But, but that was like In practically – 71 1971. Right. Zarkar's completely yeah. correct. Yeah. So I told you, I think at one point I had both volumes of those. And let me tell you, reading them was like, huh, this was just as rough the first time. You know, it's like, oof. So – I thought it was meant to be good. Is it not meant to be good? No, I, no, 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 no. I mean it's meant to be good. How do I put it? It's just – okay. Well, uh, there, there's two separate ways to look at it. One, you are a comic book-loving lad of, like, 10 or 11 years old.
1: Oh, I I get where you're going for. You... There's... Is it actually a good comic, or is it when you're 11 years old, something you're like, wait, it's comics, but I can jerk off to it?
0: Ah, yes. Uh, I mean, I think the thing that's problematic is Little Annie Fanny. Technically, there's copious amounts of nudity, and... You know, I'm, I'm just sort of like, I have to really salute the can-do spirit of anyone who was able to kind of jack off to little Annie Fanny, you know, because I myself found, I mean, I think this, maybe this was the problem. It was like, on the one hand, there were naked bosoms everywhere. On, On the other hand, part of me is like, and admittedly, I'm older than you, so I'm like, it's, Nineteen seventy seven, why are they still running a parody strip of America's most beloved depression era sweetheart? You know what I well, mean? Like there was just something
1: that was you, so You added a good ten it.
0: years onto it. Apparently around
1: in the late sixties.
0: Uh it started in the late sixties, but I could have sworn it was still running through into the seventies. Like also also, I mean, I remember Annie
1: when I was a kid. I think from the movie though, not from the the strip. Mm-hmm. Oh, like the, strip the, the Marvel adaptation with the art to uh, no, maybe? no. I, I mean, I actually, I actually mean the movie. Huh?
0: The you remember the Annie movie? Of course, I remember the anime movie. Yeah. That, that's I was um, joking about the uh, the the how awesome it must have been to actually. Watch wow, it. The,
1: the newspaper strip ran till twenty ten.
0: Yeah, it is running for a while there.
1: Um, From 20, 1924 to twenty ten. Yeah. But, Holy shit! I have to say, and then of course it came back this year.
0: Right. Of course. Surging in right the, back. Um,
1: in the Dick Tracy strip? Oh, that's right. You know this, don't you? Yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I do know yeah, this. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: they actually, they resolved the cliffhanger, which I think is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love they're like, what are we going to do in Dick Tracy? Wait, I've got this great idea. Right. You know what no one expects from us?
0: Let, let's... Let's finish off that cliffhanger. That is, it's, which is it's get, gets great. them been on the
1: edge of their seat for four years.
0: Yeah, exactly. People who are like, please, I need to die. Just tell me what happened so I can die. Little Annie Fanny Graham ran from 1962 until September 1988. Holy shit. Yeah. So, I mean, it really isn't. Like, it, it was kind of this beloved institution, uh, except... I don't know who really beloved it. I mean, you know, again, the thing that's great about Hugh Hefner is that guy single-handedly doubled the lifespan of cartoonists. You know what I mean? Like before before Hugh Hefner established Playboy magazine, the the life expectancy of your average cartoonist was like 36. And now it, it, and then it was like 72, well into the 80s and stuff like that. Some of those dudes like Shell Silverstein, that guy should have never lived that long, but it had everything to do with, you know, it's Hefner. Amazing. So yeah, anyway, little, how did we, how in the name of God did we get on this topic? <laughs> this is the most I, terrifying honestly, thing ever. Is this fight, I honestly don't remember how we got on I know. I'm like, oh. I had an amazing point to make. <laughs> Apart from the fact that I am like an utter idiot, but I, <laughs> I, I don't remember what it is now. I, I guess I okay, know. let's just draw a line under all of this. Short
1: version, um, I'm sick. Jeff has a trip <laughs> next week. Um, uh, we should probably, because we haven't been going in for 20 minutes now. Uh, it's yes. worth saying two things. One, this is actually going to be a relatively short podcast. Although relatively short for us means probably an hour and a half, just yes. not two and a half hours. Yes, Because... Uh, we have a hard stop and I'm sick. Yes. Uh, and secondly, even though we really will have a schedule, uh, we're taking ourselves off schedule this month because Jeff has a trip next week. I know, week. which I feel terrible so, about because. You know, well, but you also shouldn't. It's an important trip.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Well, man, you're going to totally. Uh, I know, know, I was going to say, saying that just makes people. It, it, it's. People, never mind. It's, <laughs> it's something you guys have to be bothered about. <laughs> Everyone's like, Jesus, just <laughs> getting a monkey liver
0: put in. you got a child's heart. The Hefner. Yeah. I, I, dude, this is why do you think I'm so fixated? I'm like sitting here like all my arrangements are made to go get some baboon kidney in place. And I'm I like, if,
1: that's how you got on the subject yeah.
0: of, of, of body, by the way. That's what Because right. we were, we we're talking about the Hefner and then, okay. Oh, that's right. Exactly. So you just have to ask it's for the Hefner, Graham. To- I'm telling you. It's, it's it all
1: doubles back eventually.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The sad part is I don't even qualify for the Guccione, which is like a, the, you don't even want to go there apparently. That, tre- that treatment takes like years off not only your life but the lives of people around you. So that's apparently the penthouse um, health center's opened just to compete with the Playboy Health Centers are not as good. A lot more vulgar in a way that's almost <laughs> tantalizing, but far, far worse for you. Far this worse is
1: when I show my, my lack of being plugged into that scene. I honestly thought Penthouse didn't exist anymore.
0: Oh, it may not. Does Penthouse still exist? Like I, d- I doubt it does. I doubt it does. I mean, I, it does, but uh, it, it, right? In its it, current it, incarnation it is, as Spin Magazine? Or am I like, is that what? wrong? Well, you know, because Spin Magazine was, like, owned by Bob Guccione Jr. Like, he bought, like, Spin and, like, broke away from his dad's terrifying, you know, uh, uh, oily, um, unctuous hands and, and, like, did his own thing with it. Wait, which one? Uh, oh, uh, hang on. It looks like Penthouse dozen in fact still exist. It does? Wow. Okay. It went into Chapter 11 restructuring. Oh, it was Huh. Although Guccione was American, the magazine was founded in 65 in the United Kingdom. Wow, that makes so much sense, I have to tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. The first. Are you on the Wikipedia page as well? I am.
0: I am. Yeah. The first
1: U.S. issue of Penthouse, September 1969. <laughs> wink, wink. Also, can we talk about who the, the publisher of the magazine is right now, according to Wikipedia?
0: Oh, no. I didn't
1: see that. Where is it? Friends finder networks. <laughs> Uh, okay, now we are done. Because uh, right. you can't top that.
0: Yeah, you really cannot. So you really can't. let's let's talk comics, Graham, McMillan. Comic books, the the fun stuff. Like we both okay, gorged then. ourselves with tremendous amounts of comic material so that we could discuss it.
1: I, I mainlined comics material, Jeff. Wow. I opened my brain like in lock and key and just put comics directly in. Mm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read Lock and Key?
0: No, I've got the, I've got, I've got the, I think the first paperback I picked up like super cheap, still haven't read it. I don't know, you know, it's, it's tough. I don't know, it's, everyone talked about how great it was, but I was like, I, I, and I'll, I'm sure I'll try reading it, but it just, I don't know, man. You know, I think maybe part of it is, It's like, everyone's like, oh, it's Joe Hill, you know, whose books I've also stockpiled but have not read. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm totally down with someone trying to tell sort of like kind of an epic haunted house story in like a comic serialized form. Like, I'm like down with that. But it was just – it was a little too – the issues I flipped through were a little too, I don't know, a game of you. You know what I mean? Like – more... And, uh,
1: well, it's it's funny because I I just I just recently finished it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that I, I was getting all the books from the library, and so like I'd read it entirely sporadically. <laughs> I'd be like, oh look, volume five's out. You know, two years after I read volume four, mm-hmm. um, and so I just recently finished it, and I I didn't realize until I was reading the blurb in the back, and people are actually are like, it's this generation Sandman, right? And reading that, part of me was just like, I feel like you're aiming really low. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, like, I, f- I feel like you are. I feel like if you're li- like, that's your boast. Because mm-hmm. I-, I like Lock and Key a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot that's particularly Sandman y about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you're like, y- your quote is, you know, it's this generation's a Sandman, it's like,
0: Everyone needs to try harder. Well, but okay, but see, here's the thing: I didn't know that that was a quote. I'm literally basing this on when I picked it up. You're, you're saying
1: you're saying it actually felt Sandman.
0: It felt Sandmany to me. Yeah, I picked it up kind of being like, okay, here's something that's going to be a little more Stephen King, Richard Matheson-y. and to me, it was it was very gaming. Like maybe not necessarily in a bad way, or I don't know. At best, it was like Tim. Burton's version of like a Clive Barker sketch. Yeah, I see, at I, best.
1: Here's the thing, I can totally see that mm-hmm. more than I can really see. Gaiman. Hmm hmm
0: mm
2: hmm.
1: Um, I I can, but put it this way: I don't think it's a particularly original book. Sure, uh, but I do think as a series, it's uh, it is particularly enjoyable. Right. It's definitely if you're going in thinking, I can't wait for the Stephen King thing. You will be disappointed.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I've had like a very long time. That actually scared
1: me off of it mm -hmm. for a long time because I remember seeing less people being like, it's Stephen King's son.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I
1: was like, oh, oh, Stephen King. That's not the name I want to, you know, don't drop that name if you want me to read it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. But but no, I, I ended up trying it. No, it's good. I, you know, I'm hoping that I will get to it at some point soon. So uh uh anyway so <laughs> there's my review of Graham's metaphor um <laughs> let's just pretend that so that, Jack, that was actually a book what that we read. What have you read? In fact,
1: no. I'm going to ask you if you've read Nameless.
0: I did. I read Nameless uh I read Nameless about 2 hours ago and I have to say um I found it I found it quite a delight. Um I I, I saw that you wrote about it, in fact, uh, uh, today – well, you didn't write about it. Today, I saw that you had written about it. But um, yeah, I –
1: After after reading uh, Nameless, which I also particularly enjoyed, mm -hmm. uh, it put me in mind of Morrison's weird comeback. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Because Nameless and Annihilator and Multiversity – ...are like three of the, my favorite comics right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. And I, they feel very diverse.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah, I think so. I, I the, the, like I, I feel like he's putting out his strongest work in years. Which is interesting. Did you see that review? I want to say that, like, uh, Jog linked to it in his Twitter feed where – oh, it, uh, it was Mark, Mark Singer – uh, wrote his review of the Multiversity Guidebook, basically saying that he felt that that Morrison was on the wane and, and that he thought the guidebook was exceptionally shoddy and kind of depressing, and then sort of went on to say that Morrison's work works best when he's doing both a mainstream project and uh, an independent and independent creatively owned Other project that it usually Mm. sort of careens off of, and I'm like, do Do you not know about Annihilator? Because Annihilator seems like it is a while different. Annihilator
1: feels like the Invisibles to Multiverses Justice League.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Like they're they're both playing with the same ideas in very different ways.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. And I
1: feel that Nameless also feels very much like the dark side of Batman Incorporated.
0: Oh, that's so funny that that's hilarious. It nameless actually um th- read to me a lot like the way that I kind of wish that oh, you know, it, yeah, the way that I wish that Constantine had been rebooted, you know? I mean, <laughs> that would have been great. Mhm. Mhm. It's it, uh
1: you, you couldn't have had quite as much use of a certain word
0: in Constantine. Yeah, that is true. Since it's no longer Which is so
1: hilariously Glaswegian mm-hmm. that – I loved it. Yes. Love, love the use of it. And again, I'm not – like I said in the, the review for the website, like I'm not going to say it because I know it's really offensive to people. But I love the use of that word in Nameless because it is so fucking Glaswegian.
0: Well, it, it's interesting because it really did feel a lot less – it felt – Maybe because of the 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 of it, but Morrison's to me felt so much more on his game than say, and admittedly, unlike you, I enjoyed uh happy that he did with Derek Robertson, um which I liked, but at the same time seemed a little too um deliberate in its sort of happy Hop-
1: felt forced yeah,
0: happy's very forced. And and Nameless actually feels um almost buttery smooth by comparison. It's it's very much Morrison. It it to me there's a lot of um obvious enjoyment that seems to be yes. just sort of oozing out and of Nameless every page.
1: Is a Nameless is a weirdly joyful book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and It really shouldn't be, (laughs) given – do you know what I mean? Like, given what the book is about and given what actually happens in that first issue, it shouldn't be quite as gleeful. Really? But it it, very is. Because he's being hunted and he's, you know, things are – he is not – the main character is not in control and is basically being shat on or hunted for the entirety of the issue. Right. and. Nonetheless, like, you get the feeling that he and Marsden are just like, this is fucking great.
0: Yeah, see, and it's there's something about that attitude that changes it. Like, I mean, it's it's very much a kind of, uh, you know, the comparison is, is Constantine, but considering it's basically him trying to. Steal like I think you made a comparison to Inception, just sort of super briefly, because it has him stealing an object out of somebody else's dream. But I mean, it's to me, it's very much like the opening of a James Bond sequence. If if James Bond was basically racked with a hundred and five degree fever, you know, and so the idea that it's flipping between these two sort of Aberrational realities, Uh, but you find out that it it is kind of deliberate. I mean, it's the way that um, it's another way that Morrison is positing that magic works. You know, which is this way in which it is um, it's it's metaphorical and real at the same time. It reminded me
1: That, that both are like there's two different realities, but both are as real as each other.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, people who actually enjoy, who enjoyed it and want to read something very similar. Um, I, I greatly enjoyed reading, uh, Nick Mamatos's uh, Love is the Law, which I think Rachel Edidin was the editor on or one of the editors on. It's a piece of prose, a novel that I want to sure. say from was from Dark Horse. From yeah. Dark Horse, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it is Rachel's. Yeah, yeah, and that is a super exceptional book about um, a teenage girl who is a uh, essentially a, a Crowley esque uh, black magician who is trying to solve the murder of her mentor, and so it's it's, it's but it's set in the fall, uh, the, after the, the banking crash, the Michael Milken banking crash, I want to say. So it's back in 88 or 89. Um, and it's, 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 it's hilarious and awesome. It's not exactly like nameless in a way cause it's, it's very, um, uh, it, it's very, it's super knowledgeable about the occult, but it's also super cynical about the occult and people in the occult. Um, but it has like sort of a, a very similar kind of feverish take on things. So it made me think of it a lot. So people who liked it, Graham, if you liked, since you liked Nameless number one, admittedly it's not, it's set in, I want to say Rhode Island, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, no, no. Long Island, that New won't York. have,
1: that won't have the Glaswegian. Exactly. It doesn't that's have the glaswegian of it. Yeah.
0: But, um, but,
1: uh, no, I, I, I thought Nameless was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm exceptionally strong. But, uh, but also, I think I want to talk about the art a bit because I think that uh, Chris Burnham and Nathan Fairburn really, really bring their A-game to it. Oh, yeah. I think what they do is really, really, really strong and helps the book a lot. I think mm-hmm. this is one of the Morrison books that even though we're both like, Morrison's great here, with a different artist, it wouldn't have been half as good.
0: Oh, no. Agreed. I, in fact, I, I am strongly tempted to say that, uh, for me at least, um Burnham is probably Morrison's strongest artistic collaborator next to Quitely, and I mean like and right next to him like i i I think Fraser Irving has done some wonderful stuff with Morrison too but i I honestly I think I would give Burnham the edge up at this point because I feel that he's got just such a um I feel like his sense of humor is very, very similar to Morrison's. And he also can play with the comic book meta perspective in, in a, in a way that is, again, that is also not forced, you know, like Burnham has no problem dipping into the well of genuine cartooning, you know, with, which is wonderful. He's, he's got the, the formless chops of of,
1: of quietly, or at least he's of the same school. He might not be quite as willing to to go as far as quietly, yeah. but um, but his work is more cartoony
2: mm-hmm.
1: And, mm-hmm. and less uh, governed by real world physics than Quietly's is. Mm-hmm. And there's something really interesting about the play of those two things. Yeah, that you you get someone who pushes the envelope in a different way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, there's 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 some really great stuff in this first issue. In terms of the panel layout, and
0: by that I mean the shapes of the panels? Yes, exactly, exactly. I noticed that there was that one where he's got it, it it almost looks like a, um, I know there's a better word for it, but they look like pills, you know, that beautiful sort of rounded. Yeah, I- yeah. Yeah,
1: and, and also when uh, when the lead character, who it sort of strikes me, I can't remember the lead character's name. Oh, because it's nameless. Uh-huh. <laughs> Smart me. Um me. But when he's captured mm-hmm. and when he's being interrogated, mm-hmm. and you have forced perspective, not only within the panels themselves of the yes. figures, but the panels are in forced perspective. Yes. Yeah. You know, like that's great. And then you have uh Fairburn's colors on top of that, and his colors are just amazingly garish.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know,
1: he plays up a hyper reality by giving it these really, really overpowering colors. Yeah. It's it visually it's it's such a great book.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think the it it really does just a wonderful it'll be cur- I'll be curious to see where it goes in a way, because there is um I thought that for the most part uh as crazy as both Burnham and Fairburn were I kind of got the sense A it was serving the script and B they they were kind of holding back a little bit so it's going to be really interesting to see when when the book really kind of opens up you know
1: yeah when the, when the book goes nuts because yeah, you know that it, you know that this is the preparation for something that is going to come yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it, there, there's very much a feeling that this is the first issue where Morrison and, and Burnham are holding back. hmm Right. And right. considering what happens in this issue, you're like, really? But there is. There's a sense of expectation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: hmm and, and part of it is it jumps between genre distinctions. hmm And so you start very much with, like, metaphysical horror, you know, mm-hmm. supernatural, and it ends with maybe kind of sci-fi we're fucking going to the moon you guys
0: oh yeah I mean it's 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 a, it's essentially the occult version of Armageddon by the time you get to the end of the first issue who knows where it's going to go from there you know
1: yeah exactly and you kind of have a hint by the front cover
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right exactly
1: like well, front cover is a promise that is not fulfilled in the first issue at all
0: mm-hmm. exactly
1: but but strongly hinted at.
0: I almost think that that cover. We'll see how it goes. Maybe the only real strike I have against the book, you know, because I feel like, like uh, to me it throws off the tone of the issue. Like maybe it will give me like three issues in or four issues in. I'll be like, oh, okay, I know. Oh yeah. Yeah, but but as it is, this first issue, um, you know, just the fact that there's a trio of uh, you know sigil marked astronauts on the cover, and then inside the book, it's very much one dude. You know that again, that may change up, but I was oh, kind of like, sure.
1: But on the cover, you have a trio, but one of them is different from the other two. Uh, like the sensor yeah. one is wearing an entirely different
0: spacesuit. Oh yeah, that's true. That is true, well, but <laughs> yeah. I'm like I hate to be a jerk, but I'm like yes, but I mean to me those guys all seem somewhat different anyway well I don't know whatever i I, I <laughs> I'm just saying for me it was the only part no, I, where I, I, t- I, was I like, totally get what you're saying I mm-hmm. totally get what you're saying mm-hmm but, but as it was, I, I enjoyed it so much. I also want to talk about the Multiversity Guidebook because I picked that up on Monday and read that. And I was like – I thought that there was some really interesting shit going on there uh, on oh, another I, I
1: loved that comic mm-hmm. a
0: lot. To the point where it might be my favorite issue of Multiversity. Yeah, it's pretty close for me too, I have to say. I have to say. It's
1: I... just so fucking tense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's so much to love there. Uh, Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the Kirby stuff?
0: Uh, Oh, well, the Kirby stuff looks beautiful, I I have to say. Uh, That was just astonishingly good. Um, You know, for me, I kind of want to dig into some of the meta meat uh, at the end because I feel like, again, Morrison's. Morrison's talk of the empty hand is a very strange, uh, thematic turn of events, I suppose, you know, that I'm, I so. well, because, well, there's two things. W- one is the idea that the, that the hand is, as far as I'm aware, and this is where you with your superior DC fanboy knowledge can perhaps check me. Um, The idea of the grasping hand being the primordial image of the DC universe, that the DC universe was created, like the very first image was this sort of hand rising out of, you know, the primordial ether. And that is.
1: And it's Krona.
0: Yes, is Krona, right, exactly. Which is, you know, visited and revisited a couple of times throughout in DC. Uh, history. So is Cronus specifically represented as the, the owner of the Empty Hand there toward the end of the issue or uh,
1: well that, I didn't that, think that's so entirely open. I yeah. don't think it is uh, and there's a very the, the very end I think it's actually the last page of the story it mm-hmm. is the last page of the story where you have the owner of the Empty Hand what he says is fascinating from a meta perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, in particular, the reset yes. part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Someone who shall remain nameless but knows exactly who they are, uh, messaged me after they'd read the issue, and compared the the hand in that page with DC's promotional image uh, a couple of years ago for Jeff Johns.
2: Oh wow! Which
1: features him with his hand in that pose. Mm. Uh, Which wasn't a connection I'd made at all. Mm -hmm. But then when you see that, and then you see Get Up Reset. Yes. And you're like, oh. (laughs) Right. I wonder if that's intentional. Yeah. I wonder if it's not just a meta about the number of times that you can reset the fictional universe. And the the, the fictional universe has been reset. Mm -hmm. And stories have been rehashed. And if it's an explicit uh, reaction to the New 52. Uh, well, I've I've just, I've just barreled you off your, your points. Sorry. No, 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 no,
0: no. It actually is very close to my point. I I actually want to refer you to the part where, um, where in the story, like literally about halfway through the book, um, the commanding narrative and the chibi narrative combine in that they're essentially looking, both looking through the, um, four page history of essentially the DC multiverse, and it includes the Flashpoint, um, and and it has the panel: "What great hand casts the lightning and, and remakes the world?" And again, this is mm. that this is the hand that we are using. That, that,
1: that is, yeah, and that is explicitly Cronus' hand. Yes, because oh, that, that panel, with the exception of the fact that the horror is is visible, mm-hmm. that panel is pretty much from Crisis. Yes, exactly.
0: Exactly. So what great hand casts the lightning and remakes the world? And I love – oh, my God. I adore the use of the flash pointing finger panel for it. The the caption panel, yeah. Yeah, which is just like – because, I mean, again, that's the thing that I think is just so smart about Morrison is, uh, as a friend sort of mentioned to me and pointed out, the flash is – pretty much at the center of all these different crises that remake and reset these universes. Um,
1: Well, as Morrison himself says in the previous panel.
0: Yes, exactly. And then you have the sort of flash hand pointing uh, in a way that actually sort of mirrors the way the the hand of the source writes uh, on Kirby Earth, you know, so there's... There's a lot of, it to me, it's just kind of astonishingly great how Morrison takes three very different uses of a hand across, you know, decades of DC's history and ties it together. And then, you know, really wraps a bow on it in the sense of talking about the the possessor of the empty hand who is, who again seems to be posited, like you said, as, as Jeff Johns's hand, or I think more specifically the, the hand of the creator in it, you know? And so the idea of, to me, the idea of the empty hand is depending on how Morrison ends up, um, developing it, you know, Kind of a very big. It, 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 I like that it's so specific, and yet it's still multivalent because yes, um, one of the things that I think is interesting about Morrison as a creator is is that he um, himself is not a big fan of totally completing the picture for you. You know what I mean? He it's important to him that some portion of things remain empty. You know, like, uh, again, talking to a friend of mine who was like, well, the, the guidebook was great, but I ended up getting frustrated because, you know, what the fuck are you going to do with all this? You know, his his whole thing was kind of like, after reading all these things, like, you know, Morrison's never going to tell a story about all these different Earths. So why is he kind of putting them out there and just frustrating me? And wow. I'm like, yeah. Which I was kind of like, that, no, uh, no,
1: that's that's not what Morrison does. Exactly. Morrison gives Morrison is additive to the fictional universe. Always, yes, always. Yeah.
0: Well, but additive. But this is okay. So I guess what I'm thinking is, is for me, that comment sort of illuminated how to, there are two different urges in superhero comic book readership. Operating at, you know, operating at the same time and, and I think even in the same individual and one is essentially the idea of everything gets filled in for you everything gets explained. Like you pick up something that's like one piece of the puzzle and the only reason you go, you know, and start hunting down all the other pieces of the puzzle, you know, the previous 300 issues of Spider-Man or flash or whatever it is, is that idea that you can explain it all and that you can understand it all and that, that everything serves a purpose and culminates and, and and it is essentially given to you, if you see what I'm saying. Mm. You know what I mean? Which mm. I think of as the full hand, I suppose. But really, it's the empty hand, which is the, the other urge that sort of th- – that what Morrison gives you is fuel for your imagination. And I do wonder if perhaps the difference between the – the the desire to have your hand filled essentially uh, is is the demand that everyone does the work for you and you don't have to be an imaginative creature yourself um, and that that would be sort of the the bad way to go in Morrison. What Morrison really wants to celebrate is the idea that there are always pieces that are left out. Like he always makes it a point when he's assembling his own puzzles, his own statements on these things. It's very deliberate that he leaves pieces out that you are then, so that you then have something to imagine about or wonder about or where to go. You know, you have, you
1: have a much better take on the, what the empty hand means than I do. I much prefer your take. Oh, well, because uh, my reading of the empty hand was again, that it was meta, but mm-hmm. it was, uh, creators and fans who come with no ideas of their own—they
0: mm-hmm.
1: literally come empty-handed. Yes, and they would rather rehash and rework than ah, create. See, that's—I think—that's a brilliant. And so, take. and so that is that is why the empty hand resets. Yes, as opposed to builds. Yeah, and what Morrison? When I said Morrison is additive, he is. You know, the, the guidebook is a great example of this. He doesn't create all of the new 52 worlds, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of new concepts in there or twisted concepts that you nonetheless want to see more of. Yes. Um, even in the, the listing of the, the 52, there's seven worlds where he doesn't even offer any sort of definition. Yes. But he offers a hint. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh yeah, there's, there's seven mysterious monitors,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. which immediately implies a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was doing Justice League as well, he introduced Wonderworld, which doesn't, like, was never again referenced until uh, Multiversity, but again was additive. He created a whole new mythology for the characters. He created Zoriel. He, this is what he does when he writes mm-hmm. uh, uh, a property like that. He he builds on what – sometimes he ignores what went before, but he builds a new world and he leaves gifts behind.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think so, so, too.
1: I think so, too. I, I, I think that the, the, the... For me, the empty hand are the people who do not... Or who are not willing to uh, participate beyond playing with other people's toys. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I know. And no, so, and right. so the, one of the dangers is... And I think we're both talking around the same thing, but seeing different aspects of what the empty hand metaphor could mean.
0: Well, yes. could Could mean because I feel that Morrison here is being at his most quantum state. You know, he, I mean, how do I put it? Thank God Morrison is self-aware enough that even with your um, definition, like even if he's pursuing your definition of the empty handed creator, a lot of this book show is is definitely him. He's modifying the toys, but they are they are the same toys. You know what I mean? Like a lot of those panels are. In fact, this was, I think, the complaint that, that Mark Singer had on his blog entry. Excuse me. It's the same. It's the same five characters over and over and over again. Now, that's not entirely true, but it's true enough against a big enough chunk of it that it becomes a that i think i think morrison is really going to give us a very ambiguous run uh, before we're through with multiversity and maybe maybe even after we're through oh I, which, I
1: think he's good i think this is going to end very ambiguously yeah and but and but
0: also in a metatextual way in that i think that morrison oh, very, is, very much. Yeah, yeah. is is he is not counting himself as as separate, you know, from the empty handers. I think he's very aware that he is a, a corporate tool working on corporate properties for corporate ends, you know, but his, his, and so he is really, he's ultimately aware of himself as Uh, potentially the villains, you know, the gentry and the, the flip side of that being, I suppose, that idea of what they choose to embrace or what they choose to learn um, or what they end up learning in the course of setting themselves against the heroes of multiversity. Uh, So, so I, I think it's interesting. I do think I think our, our pieces sync together very well because I think, Um, because I almost feel like my interpretation is a little more is going to be the positive spin on it. And your interpretation is going to be the negative spin on it. And then it's very much left for the reader sort of which one to both those scenarios have to be read. Although I feel that Morrison is going to do his best to cast you know, I, I assume the po- you know the positive reading on it, but he's going to well, allow at this that point, other reading to exist. I'm very interested in how it's going to end. Mm-hmm.
1: There are three issues left. Yes, um, there are three issues left of the series. Mm-hmm. At this point, the bad guys have won.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The bad guys have also revealed, essentially, to be not bad guys as much as uh, an entropic force. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's nothing to defeat as such. There's not. There's not even anything to, to fight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Of the three issues, we have the Nazi world. Mm-hmm. We have Ultra Comics, which is the haunted comic that has caused everything in the first place. Yes. And then we have the final issue. Morrison mm-hmm. almost never ends any any of his superhero works, uh, without a happy ending. Yes, And I can't see how he's going to get there I, I just At this point I just can't see how he's going to get there There's so much dangling That I'm wondering if he's Either going to do a Seven Soldiers-esque uh, Punt And I think that the end of Seven Soldiers is wonderful mm-hmm. But I don't think it necessarily Ties off the ends of all the series
0: Oh Yeah Which again, Uh, Morrison—that's one of the things. uh, Seven Soldiers, number one, is to me the point where it it was very where uh, I I felt like I understood Morrison. The fact that he so deliberately shunned tying off the story—that he it deliberately brought in characters that had not existed prior to the—you know—despite having twenty-nine other issues. To, to bring in some of these characters, he made it a point to very specifically, you know, bring in new ones. It was just like, what the hell are you doing? And I felt that he was he was definitely pointing to the idea of stories are always going to be a little outside your um, – you can't look at the whole thing. That, it's it's yeah. super important.
1: Which which the guidebook definitely does.
0: I mean, even just mm-hmm. the map of the multiverse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It begins narratives that you just know he's not going to touch on again. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know? And I, and even the, everything he does with the Kirby characters in the guidebook.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I honestly do not expect him to go back to
2: mm-hmm. these
1: characters at any point. hmm But his reading on Darkseid
2: mm-hmm.
1: is amazing to me and begs to be followed up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um the The implication that Darkseid is uh, a multifaceted plague visited on each of the realities mm-hmm. created by the monitors is great.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and simultaneously, um, lessens Kirby's creation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but also makes Kirby's creation broader
2: for yeah.
0: me, right?
1: Because right. it it. Makes the idea that Darkseid is a representation of an idea and representation of an emotion, mm-hmm. uh, text in a way that I don't think has, has really been stated before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but but he does, he you know Morrison is 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 really throwing in these. You're you're never going to get the end of any any of these stories. You're never going to get the the any more of some of these stories. Yes. But I don't, like, the if the narrative thrust of Multiversity as a whole Mm -hmm. is that there is something inherently um, bad Mm
2: -hmm.
1: about these comics and this one comic in particular, Mm -hmm. and that it is somehow tied in with the gentrification of ideas and the idea of the superhero, Mm -hmm. I don't know how he gets... To a happy ending for that in three issues, considering that the second last one is the cursed issue.
0: Yes. Well, the second the second last one is the cursed issue, but it de- the way that I see things potentially going is, th- I, I feel like Morrison has a specific number of options available to him, uh, and. One of those options to me, because I mean, we have, we have cursed comic books, you know, um, that have, that have existed in, in our reality, you know, and the way that the organism that is comics deals with it is very interesting. One way is that the, the comic book issue that the most common one is, is that it gets retconned or it gets sequelized in a way that um, de-weaponizes it. Yeah. It defuses its power. Yeah. So um, another way is is that it gets uh, recontextualized, I suppose, you know, either through uh, historical reading or that there's a, the, the idea that there is a nested narrative Within it, you know, and um, so I, I could see Morrison doing something like that, where essentially the last issue of Multiversity number two is the incarnation of the characters from Multiversity number one, essentially becoming comic book creators and writing the haunted story and writing it in a way that has... Within the damnation is the redemption, which is, you know, I think a very Morrisonian theme too.
1: You know? Interesting. I, I, what I am half expecting is that the final issue of Multiversity will break with the narrative entirely. Mm-hmm. And will instead carry – be a thematic conclusion mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. makes a lot of the subtext text mm-hmm. and instead deals – Directly with the idea of gentrification of the superheroic ideal. Yeah. Um, and, and in doing so, pretty much implicitly says, these are stories. Mm-hmm. Like everything you've read up until now is a story. Yes. Well, and and you to know, me, that, you're right. And because it's a story, it can be rewritten. It yes. doesn't have to end. Until it ends, you're the ones responsible for continuing the narrative. Yes.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a very big like Morrison's biggest defense for himself for writing superhero doing superhero comics for high as work for hire is the idea that, you know, essentially virtuous people have to if you don't you get, you know, super doomsday, you know, rampaging through the universes destroying everything, you know, what you need Mm -hmm. is responsible responsible creators. You know, or creators that, that can responsibly handle the virus. But it wouldn't surprise me if the, if the multiversity number two, yeah, I mean, who knows how crazy it is. It'd be interesting to see if he takes the, essentially the very first page of multiversity number one, which is, um, you know, Nick's Uyten's, um, alter ego like basically getting, you know, the landlord banging on the door and her demanding rent and the cockroach infestation, you know, and it's, it's all but a slice of life title in which things are incarnated, but, but hopefully in not like a super crazily obvious way. I don't think Morrison would, would do that. Thank goodness. Um, I think well, who,
1: who knows.
0: Well, At this point, all bets are off though. I really do true. not know what's
1: coming in the next two issues. Yeah. In the next three issues. Probably.
0: Yeah. 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 I, well, I, I kind of love that. I'm, I'm a little worried about the, um, that's the issue yeah just just cuz the jim lee art i just i'm like ah oh, like that cover it, every time true. i see the that cover, cover is really ugly isn't oh, it so hideous i'm just like oh this is going to be awful but i also see what he need what he means from it from a, from a narrative point because i su- suspect that he is you know it's it's going to be a pretty dark flip in that you have you know he's taking an idea that has been around you know for decades ever since the freedom fighters popped up in dc comics um but i think with the addition of a nazi justice league putting in a you know a form of right the bad guys of one commentary in which you know the 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 status quo is in the process of doing and creating evil, I suppose. So, you know, and so I think that really does leave us to, I'll be fascinated by the haunted comic. Cause of course, after all these issues of it, I'm like, I better have something pretty decent up his sleeve. Cause you know, I don't think that it'll, otherwise it will roll. Oh, I, I don't easily.
1: think, I don't think he has anything particularly special, obviously. For.
0: Well, see, that's it. I almost feel like it's such a an obvious. It seems so MacGuffin-y at this point. I'm like, oh God, is he just gonna, you know? I, I mean, he, he's not going to give us a full issue MacGuffin, is he? I mean, you know, I don't know. I I
1: would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if he gives a full issue MacGuffin, or for that matter, if again he cheats. Yes. If it's not if it's not an Ultra Comics issue at all. Mm. If, like, you get halfway through and then it
0: flips to something else. Sort of sort of the way this did. Because this this was very interesting in that it was both a story and a guidebook. I was kind of relieved by that, of course, you know. Um, and the fact that, of course, he flips between Kirby Earth and then the very weird juxtaposition of the chibi Batman and the atomic Batman, who I, I just want to check. Like, my suspicion that that, that is... That that atomic Batman is a is a, a 2000 AD sort of homage, yeah. Uh, maybe I didn't necessarily I didn't get that from it. Oh, interesting. There was just something about the way that um, Atomic Batman is talking that is both somehow like like over the top, like gruff, and but also faintly ludicrous that gave me a real Judge Dredd vibe. I, oh, I think because of his ridiculous swears, all of the, the crockin' swears that he has. Yes. There's so many of those that I was just like, oh my God, this so strikes me as a 2000 AD way to go. And especially of course, the way that they, they, he sort of develops that earth too. So, you know, it just seemed yeah, like the, maybe, first... I don't know. Yeah. Well, I just, I, I just
1: I... wonder. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I have no idea. But because I because I keep seeing the uh, the full page ads when I flip through this issue. Did you read this week's Superman? Was yes. Super power? Yes. Yes. Super Flare
0: Jeff. Oh man. I have to say, Super Flare was um I I I don't know. I'm still coming to terms <laughs> with to that say, issue.
1: Jeff then follows that up with, I don't know what I have to say, though. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, kind of redundant.
1: I, 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 well, I will tell you this much. I love the the epilogue.
0: Uh, oh, with Jimmy Olsen?
1: Yeah. Like, I love it. I, it finally gives Jimmy something to do in the mythos. Uh, After so long of him not really having any reason to exist. It's it's very clearly Jeff John's Hitting the reset button in Jimmy Olsen, yes, considerably. Yeah, um, and almost like so shortly that you wonder if he's just sort of l- winking at the reader and being like, "Okay, this idea never went anywhere. I'm just going to jettison it." Mm. Uh, but with, with the when he gives the money away, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, oh yeah, the idea no, no, of no, rich Jimmy right. Olsen, yeah, uh, is it, is written out so like half-assedly. <laughs> Mm -hmm. That you're like – you really like – you're pretty much trying to wink at the audience and say, okay, this idea didn't work. Um, But then afterwards the – we can say it, right?
0: I think think so. I think so, yeah. Everybody were spoiling Uh, the the full issue.
1: The fact that um, Superman – Clark then goes, I'm Superman. It's Jimmy. Mm -hmm.
0: I love. I just love it.
1: I'm really, 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 really happy with it.
0: I – well, so here's the thing: like the super flare. Part of me was like, oh, man!" Like as superpowers go, I find it kind of well. How do I put it? I hate everything about it except for the fact that it, that that Clark has totally depowered for a day or two afterwards. Yes, I li- I
1: like that part of it a lot. I like the science of it. Yeah, I like the idea that uh, it explains away as essentially this is your x-ray vision this is your heat vision on full blast but it's actually just going to burn you out
0: yeah yeah it's the idea you know they've always talked about the like his his you know well always like for the last 40 years or so the superman's body as solar battery has been pretty pretty standard so mm-hmm. i think there's a way in which Uh, the idea that he could release all that at once. And then it takes him a day or two of having to retake that in to me. I like, there's a lot of things I like about that. I, I really, I like the idea of it gives a, some of the silver age, like, Oh, Superman's just a regular guy for the last 24 for the next 24 hours and has to solve problems. I mm-hmm. like the idea that it has a God. What was the other idea beyond it that I was like, "Oh, right, this is this is actually pretty yeah. brilliant." I like the idea of it, of it being like, "Well, here's you know, Clark Kent has to be a real person and have a life mm-hmm. at a stage." I,
1: I I also like the idea that it very firmly places in New Fifty Two continuity, quote unquote, that Superman's powers are evolving,
0: right. Yeah, do
1: you know I mean like? Yeah. I, th- I feel if you did that, I feel if they hadn't had a continuity reboot, mm-hmm. and they were like, you know, after thirty years of stories, this happens, right? Then it's out of nowhere. But doing it just like three years afterwards, yeah. I think you can get away with being like, your powers are still changing.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, exactly, and and arguably, it be- to me, it does become this idea of like, oh, here's something that, yeah, uh, the- here's a reason for us to have a new Fifty Two Superman. Like you can actually do things with the character. In that way that you couldn't do. Oh, the other thing that I liked about it is also the idea of it builds in the potential for a variable-powered Superman. You know, and yes, I, exactly. It, you can you can
1: arguably say that he will be weaker for a while after this happens, right? Exactly. So you don't have to be
0: with like he can go into space because yeah. maybe he can't. Yeah. Maybe he can't. Exactly. Suddenly you get like a. Leaps tall buildings with a single bound Superman and yet it doesn't have to rule out being able to have big cosmic adventures in space Superman, you know, it, several issues later or even the next yeah. issue, you know. Yeah. So so I do like There's
1: that. I like about it. it. It's interesting because I like the idea of it. I like the uh, – I, I like getting rid of the, the magic armor as well. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I, while I had nothing against the armor when it was first introduced, as soon as, uh, Scott Lundell and Dan Jurgen's were like, and it responds to his thoughts. It can shape itself into anything else. You're like, well, that's just silly. (laughs) There was something about that that I was just like, oh, it's Spider-Man's black costume. Mm -hmm. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that, that always felt like a weird get out as well. Right. The... Your costume responds to your thoughts, and so you never have to change your clothes aspect. It's always weird to me for some reason. Oh, man.
0: But let's face it. That does set up some really great – that could have set up some great stuff if Lex had gotten a hold of the armor and, you know. Then it's like Superman versus his clothes, which let's face it. As tropes go, superhero versus their own clothes is always great. Well, he'd already – this is where it shows I've read far too many Superman comics
1: since the New 52 even. He'd already given away his costume to Superboy at one point to heal Superboy. Wow. Yeah, really. And he was like, I'm going to go back to my T-shirt and jeans, which he's gone back to again in Future's End, by the way.
0: Oh, has he? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Because Future's End – has now, is now coming, coming up to the end, even though I think they have another two months to go. But they have, they have started their climactic battle. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's actually, uh, uh, pretty funny because I do feel, it's great the fact that each of us are chasing separate <laughs> DC other. weekly books That's into the toilet, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it's like, hearing about your, your travails. I'm like, oh, I don't feel so bad. And I'm like, oh, I, You know, it's been great though. What? DC has
1: sent, uh World's End, or Two World's End, mm-hmm. uh, for the last few weeks. So I've read like the last maybe three or four issues of that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and reading that makes me feel so much better about
0: Futures End. Right, you're like because that's could have that's been just uh, yeah,
1: that's that's just a book that feels feels like a book that no one working on it wants to be working on it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Which it, yeah, it, it it's. Don't get me wrong. Future's end at this point, it's very much feeling like we know what we have been told where the end is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're working towards it. Whereas future, uh, our worth, World's end, even.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: World's end is just felt like that all along. <laughs> like from issue one. Right. This felt like, okay, this is our end point. How do we get there, and how do we not get there soon enough?
0: Right. Right. Exactly. You know,
1: how yeah. do How do we kill time? But mm-hmm. still get there and make it seem vaguely organic. And the vaguely organic has gone so far fucking out the window. Yeah. It is the least organic comic I have ever read. Mm
2: hmm. Mm hmm.
1: And I've read Marvel event books.
0: <laughs> what? What? Um. <laughs> Come on! I had to do that. Yes, really? I know it was it was pretty great. I, and uh, I just want to read like by comparison. Did you see the DC All Access page about Batman Eternal? I don't know if it only ran in the back of Batman Eternal uh, Forty Four. Uh, I don't. I don't think I did. It's what what, what is in it? What what does it say? Well, uh, it's basically talking about. All this and so much more has indeed already transpired in the pages of weekly series Batman Eternal, and as the series builds towards its epic conclusion, there's still much more excitement and mayhem to come. And and I – okay, so this is actually being – I'm assuming being written by someone who's read the series, but then I don't know because (laughs) it's – It's like you're like nuts (laughs) for the better part of a year now. Writers and there's a whole bunch of names and the artists and blah, blah blah to you know come together to bring readers an epic that spans the breadth of Gotham City from its superhero protectors and dedicated citizens and police force to its criminal underground and psychotic supervillains and gangsters. The series does a great job of bringing together all the working pieces of the city, showing how major events impact the people, how the police and media react, and how. It all affects both the heroes and criminals. It's a massive tale, not only about the people that inhabit Gotham, but the city itself. And here comes the Graham McMillan tagline, and it's spectacular. Now, the thing that's great <laughs> is, I have to say... I us tell you, I have been writing. Oh, okay. Anyway. I should oh, I, I, I didn't stage <laughs> this right. I was hoping to get a confession out of you, and I figured if I just... <laughs> Vain, if you just said utter, spectacular, then yeah. I'd, I'd say it. You'd it worked. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. really did. Um, I was like – it's like the series does a great job of bringing together all the working pieces of the city. I'm like, never has a statement been less true. Like Gotham City, <laughs> like apart- – No, 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 no. no. Think about this, Jeff. Maybe they believe that, in which case imagine what a bad version would be. Well, my hope is, is that people will – Like, maybe even the creators will read that and be like, ah, Jesus, yeah, we did not. We did not. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there's that idea. Because as long as they're going to come back and do another one.
1: It feels so good. And then you see that and they're like, oh, shit. Is that what we're supposed to do? Fuck. We we didn't do that at all. We didn't do
0: it. We got to do that for season two. We got to do that for season two. Because... Because knowing that there is another one, I mean, it's it <laughs> this thing is re- dragging on to ridiculous lengths. I mean, but you're I, still buying it. I'm still buying it. I'm not necessarily not enjoying it, but see, this is it, Grant. Part of me is like, eh, you know, crappy Batman stories. There, there is there was a stage where I was What's like, oh, it's a right?
1: crappy Batman story. What's that? What's wrong with a group? Exactly. Batman.
0: Well there you go. Because if as long as your answer is nothing really, as long as it's not too much per issue, then brother, have I got a continuing ongoing weekly epic for you? So I I, I ultimately I mean part of me is like, yeah, I can see myself coming around for, for series two because although this did not end up being anywhere close to uh Good. the heights of fifty two it did. It's. It's to me has mostly avoided the truly terrible, and still even has a little bit of the. Just reading that last page, I'm like, oh man! If you guys, the next time around, can try and actually do something like that, it would be great. You know, but I don't. I don't know if they see that.
1: That's I think proof that Batman Eternal is better than Future's End because mm-hmm. if they were like we're doing Future's End season two, I would not jump on.
0: Right. Uh, that just. But I mean that. I don't think. But that's because Future's End is, is a story first and foremost, you know, featuring DC heroes or whatever, but the idea, the premise is a story. Whereas Batman Eternal is, it's, it's weekly, it's a weekly Batman story. You know, they're like, oh, we've got all these things that are lined up and we've got all this blah, 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 but I mean, when you look at the, 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 what appears they actually be, are lying laying down as what's going to emerge as the story. It's a ridiculously old story. I mean, you know, the whole like, Hey, let's have Bath- Batman run around doing crazy things and fight to keep a hold of his city. And then when he's exhausted, like the super baddie will show up and smack him down is, is actually old enough to is do- nightfall. Yeah, exactly. That story is now old enough to like vote drive, drink, you know, it's, it's not a new story. It's not a new twist. It's the way they've gone about being, you know, Oh no, 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 no. We totally, but we've got so much to do about it. And, and again, the thing is, is by being an entirely successful bunch of books for such a long time, Batman has kind of has universe to burn. You know, they could do another story of it because in a way the, the, the Bat family universe and Gotham City, you can jam, you know, is, is, has more characters in it, as many characters as Future End does, you know? So, yeah. but, so I think they can get another one out of here by just basically being, by something being, by them being like, uh, no, 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 we'll be good this time. You know, and, and I hope that's what they're – I hope that's kind of their goal. You know what I mean? Because honestly, No, no. I that, think, this segment won't suck. Seriously. Come on. Yeah, well, because I – honestly, I, that's the thing that I, that, that I found great so entertaining about reading and even hearing secondhand about the guys who worked on 52 is you go from like trying to pull something off to just merely staying alive, you know, because you yeah. are burning through – So much material at such a ridiculously fast pace um, that even here where they had things kind of dolloped out and, and broken off and screened out into like, okay, here's all of our different segments of our stories. Like all of those, a lot of those segments. Even by breaking it down into, we're going to pretend that we're telling one big story, but we're actually telling like you know seven sort of smaller stories, and we've got separate writers, and we've got separate things, and they just have to overlap. We can still do that, right? And it's kind of like, no, we're still vamping like crazy through so much of it. So,
1: yeah, that's that's one of the things that's been most fascinating about Future's End is seeing. Seeing them vamp and also seeing what storylines they can't vamp on, mm-hmm. and how they deal with it. Yeah. So there have been storylines where they just like they just drop it. Mister Terrific storyline is not present for the majority of the series. Wow. Because there's no way to vamp it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like, and they tried. They mm-hmm. they were like, what What if he meets with Batman? Right. We can add something there. You can't, and it was really obvious. And so they're like, <laughs> "We'll just not use Mister Terrific for like ten issues. We, we'll just like leave him alone, cause, right? Because there's no, we can't stretch this out. Mm-hmm. We'll just pretend that doesn't exist. Whereas, you know, future Batman comes back from the, you know, comes back to kill Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. We can chase, we can have him chase the other one around the city for for weeks, right? Like that's, exactly, that's just fight sequences. We can do that as much as we want. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really really interesting."
0: Yeah, it 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 is. I I so for me, there's definitely. I mean, I haven't been following the numbers well enough, but I definitely think that Batman Eternal clearly has done well enough that they'll they'll do it again. And oh, they've, they've announced it. they've, they've announced, announced it. it. But but I'm assuming they're going to try. They're going to do another weekly series. I would think. You know, uh, at, at DC is not. You know that you mean you mean in addition to Batman Eternal two. Yes, mean like another. Yeah, if Non-fabbing not futures end 2, they're going to have some 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 sort of like here's what Dan Dio cooked up in his hot tub too.
1: <laughs> it they might have to work in that title. Maybe with be... too many words for, for the <laughs> to get a good logo. I don't know. Maybe it we be called the Dio Tub, the Dio, the tub. Dio's Tub, and we can you know have the apostrophe or not have the apostrophe depending on <laughs> what we feel like at the time. People feel be like, wow, are there
0: multiple Dio's in this tub? Is it a tub of the Dio's? Is it a tub belonging to the Dio? Wow. The Dio's tub. Yeah, that that actually sounds like a really bad, like, sort of like when when mathematicians come up with a paradox. Like, yeah, we <laughs> came up with the paradox we call the Dio's tub that explains why life is terrible and we all die alone. And the answer is <laughs> somebody overextended themselves big time. And got promoted well, well above their abilities. So, <laughs> you're welcome, Internet. Um, so,
1: uh, <laughs> oh, man. Jeff, this was going to be our keeping it relatively short podcast, and we've made it to almost an hour and a half without saying anything of worth.
0: Oh, I don't know. I thought the Multiversity Guidebook was of worth. <laughs> I thought that we I was, we I was being slightly mean. Uh oh. Um,
1: okay. What what have you read recently that's knocked your socks off or have you enjoyed that you ex- uh, didn't expect
0: to enjoy so much? Well, let me see here. Uh, I will let me run through the very quick list of, I think, relatively good books that I enjoyed. I I have to say I enjoyed the second issue of Star Wars, which I picked up. I enjoyed the second issue of the unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Those are—it's weird that those are a that I'm buying Marvel titles and b that those are currently the only Marvel titles that I am buying. Uh, Saga I liked uh, the fourth issue of the Humans. Continue to be strange. Uh, I f- <laughs> feel like well, so I I definitely thought that it would be fun for you and I to talk about the sculptor, of course. Um, we had that was our plan, and we made it to almost the end of the podcast without
1: even starting it. Can you at least say your line about it? <laughs> I, I thought we should not,
2: Well, How long are we Come talking, on.
0: Graham? I'm sort of, ah, uh, yes. Uh, so Graham and I were, like, emailing one another about the sculptor. Or rather, I was pestering him because I was reading it. And for those who don't know... For Because maybe you've stayed far away from the comic internet for the last, uh, particularly the last oh, four days where it's. Not just,
1: just comic internet. This last week, the internet has had something about Scott McLeod on somewhere.
0: Yeah, that's true. That,
1: that PR
0: blitz has worked. It's yeah. been everywhere. Well, because it's got such an elegant hook to start from. You know, I mean, part of it is. Uh, again, listeners, I'm sure you know Scott McLeod is the dude who uh, wrote. <laughs> and I like, wrote the book about making comics. Yeah, wrote the book about making comics and then two more books after that. <laughs> the um, the
1: Understanding Comics trilogy is kind of fascinating because you have Understanding Comics, which is wonderful. Yes. And then you have Reinventing Comics, which is
0: not. Yeah, it's so And then you are
1: Making Comics, which is wonderful again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I had I had some I actually I haven't read the third book. I should read it. Making Comics, I would like to read. Because the second one, Reinventing Comics, I thought was te- – It's it's terrible to the point of being quasi-cowardly, you know? I mean, it's, it's – a- I'm
1: not sure I'd go that far. But it's definitely a book that uh, uh, seems to have no reason to exist other than it wasn't that first one of success. I should do a
0: second. Well, honestly – I feel that reinventing comics. Uh, well, uh, I also feel it's way too early. Yeah. I mean, like that's, talking that about that's interesting. You know, yeah. a good 10 years before the technology was really in place. Well, but I think, but see, that's it. I, one of the things that I, I would love to actually revisit reinventing comics because understanding comics is uh, McCloud turning his sort of, formalist engineering eye to how comics are made, how comics and visual art work in a way that ended up having like breathtakingly huge, uh, applications, you know, across from nothing else, the world of the internet. And it came from a very smart guy who had spent you know, decades working on his craft. And I think reinventing comics was the sequel from somebody who'd been incredibly fired up by the potential of the internet and comics for about two years. You know what I mean? So it's, it, you know, it very, if ever there was a, uh, a graphic novel that fits the, um, you know, second album analogy. Yeah,
1: the difficult second album problem. Yeah. yeah, it
0: it I think it is reinventing comics. Uh, there's things that I think are truly fascinating in the way that McCloud like manages to get the details wrong, but the form absolutely right in the sense of he spends a lot of time talking about when he talks about the curation of the net Of all those comics, like, but how are we going to discover who or what, um, all this product is out here and how are we going to pay for it and how's it going to exist? I mean, the, the fact is, is that the, you know, as, as you yourself know, grab, because you work in, in the industry, there's a lot of the internet that basically is the internet curators that McLeod had talked about. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just very few of them actually quite apply it to web comics because so much uh, all other kinds of media moved in at the same time and, and stole you know, a lot of It's also like,
1: it's, it's a fascinating book to go back and revisit now because Mm -hmm. you get McLeod talking about micropayments.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: You know, which seems now, I mean, it's,
0: reinventing comics is what, 12 years old? Uh, I think so. At least, it no 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 it's got to be older than that i well maybe not is it i think I want, so
1: we we have to look this up cuz i
0: could i could have sworn it came out after i moved to
1: the states so.
0: yeah well, well but that's but Graham,
1: like that's ther- that's 13 years ago oh 2000 2000 it came out. so it's 15 yeah. years old yeah yeah
0: so it's it's 15 years old and um, um but it it's but it feels amazingly dated mm mm-hmm. mhm it, it almost like, felt dated by the time it
1: was published.
0: Well, because micropayments was a, was a tough horse to, to bid on.
1: You know what I mean? Like, but I, I remember when it came out, it seemed like the wave of the future. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I feel, feel that probably lasted an exceptionally short amount of time. It, it, it's, it's the things he is wrong about. Yes. In that book. Yeah. He is spectacularly wrong about it. Right. Which right. is both very unfortunate for him and for mm-hmm. the book, mm-hmm. but really interesting to read from today's perspective.
0: Yes. Right.
1: That's why I actually would love to re- like, read it's, it. Like, it's a, it's a historical document in a, mm-hmm. in a, in a way that uh, understanding
0: comics and making comics are not.
1: Right, it's but just, making, making right. comics is definitely worth uh,
0: reading. By the way, Jeff, I, really I will good. I will track that down. Yeah, because it is one of those like I'm vaguely aware that it's out there and have not I haven't really heard much per se about it. So reinventing mm-hmm. comics to me is worth a visit because I feel like sort of the way that you um, it's you know it's like reading a science fiction novel from the '60s. Like on the one hand, it's dated, but it's it's great from the it's really easy. Not not so much to Monday morning quarterback, but to look at how, I mean, because, you know, when Scott McCloud was writing the book, everyone was talking about micropayments. And there were very few voices that were saying, making the arguments um, for why micropayments wouldn't work and why we should be skeptical about them. Those voices that uh, ended up being utterly right. On the other hand, nobody was talking about crowdfunding sites whatsoever. You know, if you yeah. think about. And, and if they had, you know, it and that had been what McLeod had ended up talking about, he would have looked unbelievably prescient, you know? Yeah, but I don't yeah. think we were expecting You've those just things bl- to work out You've just way. blown my mind a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, wait, but isn't crowdfunding kind of like micropayments,
1: if you think about it? And then, like, my mind went,
2: boom.
0: No, but I mean, it is, but it's this, it is the same context. It is the same. It's this, it's the, how do I put it? It fulfills the same need, but it's like the difference between like a flipper and a leg. You know what I mean? Like, it's just sort of that. That's it's the, the idea that you have to get somewhere that you need something to actually propel artists financially is you know is being considered in the system. It's just someone's like, yeah. So what what they're going to have is, you know, they're all going to develop these long swishy tails that are allow them going to you know swim up the the river. Um, and instead, we're looking at a world where you know where everyone's walking on a bike path or something. So it's you know so I do think I think there's a lot of the stuff like that that's in, inherently super interesting. All of which is to say, dear listeners, <laughs> um, Scott McCloud came back in a big way as far as the publicity people are concerned with the publication this week of The, the Sculptor from First Second, which is a an OGN, not McCloud's first, I would say, despite what other people have written. Um, and it is 497 pages. It is, it is essentially like reading 22 comic books in a row, for those of us obsessed with these sorts of page count type numbers, about a sculptor in New York who gets magical powers to sculpt anything he wants in exchange for only living for 200 days. And I was bitching to Graham... Uh, it, and you had the greatest line, and you should just say the line. Stop playing for
1: time, Jeff. Just say the line.
0: I'm not sure I remember how I phrased it.
1: I, I basically <laughs> said, "Oh, no, 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 no!" If you don't remember, how you phrased it. I'm going to go look for the email. <laughs> okay, that's because it was perfect. Oh my god, it's sad
0: because well, because uh, I know it's perfect.
1: I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it, but it was so funny.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that is fine. I, I I'm because gl- uh, I, I, I don't think you even agree with it anymore. No. Well, at the time... Okay, so I, as as of page 252,
1: which is where Jeff had gotten to, but yes. he actually said this in the email. He said that it was enjoyable and compelling, but I keep putting a lot of weight, arguably too mu- too much weight, on, come on, man, you're Scott McLeod, you can do better than a Neil
0: Gaiman's Jewish blankets. <laughs> Yes, and so I've—I re- have to say, since then the phrase Neil Gaiman's Jewish Blankets has haunted me like a fucking ghost. And yet, I wasn't sure if it's really important to just—I feel like the the preface of that, because you know, for some people, they're like, "Hey, Neil Gaiman's Jewish Blankets is not that bad." And frankly, it's <laughs> <that's> amazing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, honestly, in that regard, I feel like the sculptor. Uh, by the time you hit page four hundred and ninety something or other. I feel like it it definitely won me over, you know, and yet dot dot dot. And yeah, where I, I, or how I said this
1: mm-hmm. I said this to an email. I have some I have such complicated feelings about this book. Yeah. Um I went from feeling underwhelmed to disliking it to Feeling very won over by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, i And feeling so won over by it by the time I finished it that I was like, I'm going to reread it. Right. Like, I, I clearly did not get everything I could have from the opening. Because I'm like, this book, yes. Spot on. Deep, deep life lessons. Yes. I'm going to reread it. Which yes. was the worst thing I could have done. <laughs> Because, again, I just went back into, uh, well, maybe not.
2: <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe I would like, maybe it is is Church Blankets. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it depends on what mood you're in when you read it, uh, what type of reader you are and what you want out of the book. It, uh, it is a, it is a shark test of a book.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, okay, so you know what I was saying earlier about, Babbling on and on and on about the multiversity guidebook and the empty hand and the full hand. One of the things that I think most limits the sculptor is that it is a full hand book. You know, for me, there is. There is little ambiguity what you're supposed to feel. at, And that's not true. Uh, By the end of the book, there's a
1: little ambiguity about what you're supposed to feel.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, even the ambiguity of, like, do I like this character? Do I hate this character? You know, I feel that with the exception of some of the uh, visual motifs and or strange uh, meta-narrative shout-outs... McLeod is, is is essentially lays out for you what's going on at any given moment. Like there is something that is
2: Well
0: Yes uh Well I was gonna say so I talked to
1: him. Mm-hmm. Like the the reason I had the book early in the first place was that I was talking to him for the Hollywood Reporter. Right. And when I was talking to him, I said I don't like David.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I found, I found David insufferable at this opening of the book, mm-hmm. and he did win me over by pretty much by midway. I think mm-hmm. by the time that his relationship starts to uh, both deepen and go wrong, yes, uh, I think I'd been won over. Um, and McLeod was was fairly open with. That's kind of intentional. Yes. Like you're not meant to like him at the start of the book. He oh, is meant to be. Like you can yeah. empathize with him, but he's, he's he's kind of insufferable.
0: Well, and so I think this is the thing that I think to me is, again, is a little bit problematic. Okay. Well, all right. At, at the risk of sort of giving away the whole game for the listeners, um, I'm not going to talk about the ending of the book. But one of the things – part of the reason why I called it – you know, Neil Gaiman's Jewish blankets is that the story at about the third mark turns into a love story. And the romance part of it is exceptionally, um, you know, charming. I'm a guy who I think, you know, I had sort of mentioned in the course of talking about our four comics on our last installment of our podcast I'm just now sort of wrapping my brain around the way in which romance and comic books work hand in hand for me in a way that I really, really want them to. And so to have like an, a a super driven artist who is running out of time, trying to create, you know, an, an immortal work, um, or, or even many immortal works before time runs out. And then, Falling in love with another person and having to learn what that means and how so much of what love asks of us is our time and attention in a way that can be, um, work at seemingly at cross purposes to, uh, the goals of the, the driven artist. Um, it's as much as I enjoyed it and I was enjoying it, I kind of like about, I don't know, two thirds, three quarters of the way through, I was like, what, like the way part of what I, what I sort of liked was kind of this feeling of like, man, I really feel like I'm getting like this book feels like a sort of secret love letter um, from Scott McCloud to Scott McCloud's wife, you know, and so at the very end of the book after the 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 very fin- final scene um there's an afterword and in the afterword one of the things that Scott McCloud does is he talks about how the book is basically a secret love letter to his wife you know and i was like ah oh, man like there's a little bit of that to me is the 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 full hand that is the sculptor is If you have, if you have a question about the narrative, McLeod is going to answer it. Like at every stage, there's a little bit of the, there's, there, it, it has a failure of nerve that one actually sort of tends to associate with, um, with the neophyte. You know, and it's kind of interesting because McCloud, of course, if you go back and you look at Zot, which remains unfinished, there's a lot more open questions there. And part of that is the nature of it being an unfinished comic book series. But even there, there was a little bit of the, oh, I know that I've got to play this out. You know, I, I I feel that the traditional mistake that neophytes make, and I know because I made it and will probably continue to make it for a long time is the idea of, Oh God, I don't want anyone to misunderstand my intentions here, you know? And, and really I feel that tends to limit the, the work itself. You know, one of the things that I found actually really kind of a bummer, and this is something I was dying to ask you about Graham is the frustration to one of the frustrations to me about the sculptor is, is that, Um, For a book that has been in development for a long time, McLeod makes the choice of having a sculptor who wants to make it big in the New York art world. And yet, it seems to me that McLeod's history, McLeod's knowledge of the New York art world, not so much the scene itself, but sort of the status of where it stands, seemed suspiciously shallow. Like I think I read some other interview where he talked about like he'd gotten a lot of great kibitzing points from Larry Martyr and Martyr himself has uh, a a very, I think sort of strong background in understanding the history of art, um, at least up to a certain point because Martyr is a very strong, um, a uh, fan of Marcel Duchamp and how Duchamp's theory of art um, ends up having, I think, an enormous influence on art, the art world as I understand it today. And so one of the things that kind of struck me about the sculptor in reading it was this kind of idea of, I didn't, I didn't always feel like McLeod either knew or especially cared about the art world and the art world's concerns outside the very obvious, oh, gallery, get riches, and that sort of thing. Um, oh, it, it, it's a, it's very much a book that's where the art world
1: is either a mythical conceit mm-hmm. or uh, shaped by, I guess, sort of 1990s version of it, uh, wherein you can, you can make it, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We're like, you can be a successful sculptor, and that is it, and and you're you're set. Like, you can have a gallery show, and you can be a success, and you don't have to think about anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a, a career. The, mm-hmm. the 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 it doesn't engage. At no point does the sculptor engage with the idea of being an an artist as a career. Mm-hmm. An artist is someone who has to pay for something, mm-hmm. like their life. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, like, I it, see it, that, it yeah. feels. it feels very much like I will be an artist. I will make art. People will buy my art.
0: Step three, profit. Right. Well, but I I think more to the point, and maybe I'm wrong, and this is where I'm really hoping you with your art background could uh, clarify this, is I feel, and arguably mistakenly, that my understanding of what works in the art world, and some people will insist that this is just smoke being blown up my skirt is the degree, Oh you mean the actual work? Yeah, is the way what is the way in which yeah the, the 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 work that succeeds in the art world is work that continues a dialogue or challenges a dialogue that is happening about what art means as it happens in the art world. You know what I mean? Like there's very much for me, although I could be entirely mistaken, I could spend a lot of time arguing about whether people find his, his work absolutely horrible or not. I feel that Jeff Koons's art is very specifically carrying on a dialogue, a series of challenges of the concept of art that is being brought forward from Duchamp, that's being brought forward from Warhol, that's being, you know, moved along and down the line you know, and... Is, is
1: that not, is that not something that, uh, I don't say always happens, but is that not a, a dialogue, and is that not an ongoing concern at all times? The, if it, if that, if that goes out of vogue, which it does, mm-hmm. it inevitably comes back into vogue. Right, It inevitably. The, so, the the, the, the self, uh, reflection, to be polite.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was going to say self-obsession. Let's go with self-reflection. Right. Um, of the art world and the value of artists compared with their peers and the fact that it is a continuum mm-hmm. is 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 eternal. It's yes. man eternal,
0: Jeff. <laughs> well, except you do get those stages where I feel that hmm, – I feel it's been that way for a I... long time and will return. But I guess what I'm saying. One of the things that sort of bothered me was the idea that uh, David – in his, in his sculptures, at one point we see the work that he's been doing and even we see his work as it changes as he meets with varying degrees of success and non-success. And the thing I suppose that bothered me was how much of it came from a Naive sensibility about what art is and what art and and what the art world wants from its art. That- oh, I, I I don't think
1: I think that was entirely the way to go with this mm-hmm. book. Entirely, I think trying to do anything that is more contemporary and or realistic would limit the audience of the book and would limit the shelf shelf life of the book in a way that is. Uh, I don't want to say irresponsible, but I kind of mean irresponsible. That, well, I, that that would not serve the book as anything other than uh, a short-term investment, both in McLeod's time, but also in, in first second publishing it. I, I think, I mean, because let's be honest, it's not, the, the art industry, the art crowd in this is one of the least important parts of the
0: book. Well, okay. On the one it, hand, it's a MacGuffin. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, well, but see that. I, okay, how do I put it? I guess the thing that bothers me is in a book where we get such a ridiculous explanation, a ridiculously detailed explanation of how death can offer this deal to the protagonist, like in in ways that are mapped out that. Unless I'm, you know, I think there's a potential thematic issue to it. There's a lot of McLeod going to great lengths to sort of nail down the verisimilitude of his story in a way that I feel that fantasists and science fiction writers occasionally do with this, like, completely nagging sort of like, oh, yeah, 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 but the art industry, you know, it's just people using one another for cash. Uh, Except for the one or two good ones kind of thing. It was so, it just felt, um, it's not so much that it felt lazy. It's just when contrasted to the other things, like I do feel that, for example, although we spent some time kind of not entirely shit talking, but the extent to which someone like Michael Chabon or Jonathan LeThem write a book in which they have their characters inhabit the art world there is the understanding that you have to actually tackle the concept of the world as it exists. And then sort of, you can do anything that you want with it. You know, it would be one thing if what, if David, if David's embrace of the sculptural forms that he's taking is a very specific rejection of, a kind of ongoing dialogue or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that all of a sudden, I'm not saying I reject, the sculptor just because there are no giant balloon chodes in it you know it's it's <laughs> mo- it's more the fact that i feel that there's a there's a weird way that that i didn't reflect instead of potentially reflecting on the character's naivete and or ignorance of the art world and what the art world means through his own kind of arrogance there was something that bordered, if not necessarily on arrogance, of a certain kind of, like McCloud's like, yeah, I don't really care about that, so I'm not really going yeah, to. Yeah, disinterest, that. yeah. Yeah, there's a disinterest. And I sort of feel that, at least for me, if we're going to go around and we're talking about forms of graphic novels, graphic literature being the equal of, you know, Uh, written literature, um, I do feel that if nothing else, for the most part, the upper echelons of of written literature tend to hold you to a um, frustratingly difficult level of verisimilitude. You know, again, even if it's just to reject it, that that, you have to know what you're rejecting, you know?
1: But by that, uh, by by your own language, if it is frustrating, then Mm -hmm. is it not better that uh, McLeod is not beholden to that? If Uh, if prose is held to a frustrating level... Oh, sorry.
0: I mean a frustrating standard. Frustrating for the creator, not frustrating for the reader. See, for me, I did not... Like, I totally see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. But I
1: I think that if McLeod... The glib answer is, this book is already 500 pages long, Jeff... Right. What the fuck? I can only imagine how much longer it would have been if he decided he wanted to, to significantly struggle with the art world as it exists as a social or business entity. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but I think I – think Not, have not so, so much that. I mean just literally about the history of art and maybe I'm completely mistaken. But, but, it's but again,
1: again would that not have horrifically overbalanced the book? And I, I see what you're saying in terms of the, he spent so much time explaining the deal with death mm-hmm. that, that, that enables him to get these powers. But I think that betrays McLeod's origins as a writer more than, um, more than anything else. I, I think there's an, and also arguably what, re, what readers would expect from the book. I think you can fudge the art world because people can imagine the art world. I think if you say, he does a deal with death, and it's kind of a vague deal anyway. Mm-hmm. I think if he'd been any more vague, then people would have been like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think I think he can get away with being vague about the art world. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish he could have gotten away with being vaguer mm-hmm. with the deal about death. I, w- I would have rather had less of the explanations on everything than have more concentration on making the art world more realistic. I, I honestly think that would have distracted from what McLeod was trying to do, which already was at times
0: maddeningly diffuse. Well, I just, I, I see your point. I guess what I'm saying is is my particular take was that the art world in the sculptor felt uh not especially convincing it felt fake in a way that i find somewhat problematic when it is essentially the central one of the central backgrounds of but the novel it's but again it's
1: it's a MacGuffin. like it it could have been anything the book could have been called the butcher (laughs) and he could have had magical you know I just look at a cow, and suddenly it's in perfect bits.
0: Yeah, maybe, I guess. Because it's it's not really about the art.
1: Because, I mean, look at what he does with his powers. mm -hmm. Like, look at the art that apparently the world is being wowed by when he does it. It is
0: breathtakingly mundane. (laughs) Well, see, and that's my point, is, is that there's something that's a little bit... That is, it's mundane and a little pathetic. And I see your point kind of like, oh, but that's gotta be a gimme. But I'm like, it's a very it's a kind of a disturbing gimme. And it's especially a disturbing gimme to me on when you've got someone who is an authority on another form of art. You know? I get that on the one hand, McCloud is trying to say art on a- Well, I- I understand. I sure that- I I mean, that's kind of my thing, I'm sure. But I- I- (laughs) I think, I think that I have, at least for me, there's, there was, I found it a little bit distracting. It is alleviated, I think, a lot by, by McLeod. What McLeod wants to talk about is he's not interested in the art world. He's really talking about the internal struggle of, you know, making art, why we make art and what's important. What's important in life, and I and those well, but, parts well, that I found extremely affecting. About, but he's not even talking about making art. He's talking
1: about the desire to do what you want to do well and be recognized for it. Art itself is the macguffin. Art is the Mac, art is what he chooses because it is the most visual thing to do in a visual medium. Uh, yes, but I'm sorry, I mean, immensely. I mean the
0: artist in terms of a writer, a musician, a sculptor.
1: Someone, someone who creates. No, but again, I don't even. Art. I don't even think it has to be that sort of recognized creative artistic path. Uh-huh. I think it could be anything. I think he, what he is trying to promote or what he's trying to speak to is the desire for people to be recognized for their efforts, mm. more than a creative impulse. Mm. Uh, I, I totally get what you're saying. It's just right. that I think that I think that. All of the art, like art in general, in this book, is a macguffin. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything here he's doing is significantly engaging, or for that matter, is intended to engage with the "quote unquote" creative impulse. Hmm. I think the book is not about that. The book is about the recognition that we, that we as individuals, wish to get for our efforts in anything, and how the desire to be recognized by our peers can conflict with essentially having a good life and being
0: happy. Yes. I mean, yes, but there's such a specific because uh, at least for me, like, and I could be wrong, like let's, let's contrast this with say the world of cooking. You know, I feel like the world of cooking, we have celebrity chefs, arguably chefs now are celebrities in ways in much bigger ways than, than authors are now. Um, and yet I think no one really talks about cooking uh, as a form of achieving immortality, you know, I mean, and part of that, of course, is the very transient um, nature of Of the meal being eaten there, it's a masterpiece that does not exist after, after the, after it is consumed by the consumer, but, but it seems to me that, that if you were to tell the story of the sculptor, where it was the, the sous chef. I think that it would end up being a very I don't think that I don't think that that's McLeod's point at all. MacLeod is very much talking about immortality and mortality in this book. In a very but significant I, I, but way. I think But I think
1: that is again a metaphor for recognition. I I,
2: mm.
1: I I just here's the thing, Jeff, I just don't agree with you. I totally see what you're saying, I just think you're taking it too literal.
0: No, no, and I totally get that. I'm like, but I'm like Really, Graham? You really think that an <laughs> a, a enormous building-high sculpture of a naked chick holding a baby is a metaphor yes. for yes. recognition? Yes. I, right.
1: I really do. Mm-hmm. And part, of that, part of that might be I'm giving McLeod too much credit. Because if it's not, if it is what you're saying and that's the level he intended it on, holy shit, that's so on the nose.
0: Well yeah, it's an, it's an on the nose kind of book, Graham. That's, I mean that was in unless, a way that's sort of my biggest complaint. In about my it. reading, it's more, there's more metaphor makes in
1: there. Do you see oh, what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I do see that. But I'm like, not really if, sure. If you, read it,
1: if you read it in
0: my way, there's, it is more subtle. If you read it in your way, it's much more on the nose. Uh, well, yes. But I, I, I feel like <laughs> I might have better examples of it being on the nose. And your, your, your examples of it being much more rich and elusive are, come on, Jeff. It's Scott McCloud. And I'm not really sure that that's, that's the sort of artistic <laughs> argument that's going to sway me, I think, at this point. Okay. I will I will see
1: to defeat if only because my throat is completely giving out of me. <laughs> Yay! Victory <laughs> Eat your exactly. face, McMillan. Just start just yeah, just start this when it feeling like
0: you'll win all the time. <laughs> Woohoo! Finally, another reason to look forward to mortality. I just unfortunately I'm older than you, so now it's really important that I get those babboo yeah, livers you, imported you, yeah, in me.
1: Yeah. You've got it you've got it. oh wow, you brought it back. See, check me out. You brought well, it all the way back to the start. I did the full yes. Guccione. Yeah. That that's immortality of its own kind. <laughs> Bringing your podcast back back around to the end. People that's that's the podcast equivalent of making a giant building of a woman <laughs> holding a baby.
0: <laughs> we didn't even get a chance to talk about the Ayn Rand stuff or the um the King Kong stuff or I don't know. There's just so much to the Spider-Man stuff. Like there's a lot of visual riffs in there that seemed kind of interesting to me that deliberate that, that I think could be uh, argued as, as you making, as you making your case. But, um, but fortunately for all, oh, no, Graham is already sick and conceded defeat. Yeah. So yeah, really there's I, just, I've, it's just Jeff I've doing completed. a victory lap here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that I, mean,
1: I I put the mute on for every other cough this podcast that they didn't there. I, I don't leave, leave it on there. The- it makes me
0: seem like an even bigger asshole. Like definitely. <laughs> definitely leave it on there it's like oh i remember that one time that jeff like won that argument yeah when Graham was like coughing towards the end and he was actually hallucinating and jeff just kept going on and talking and talking about how he was right and even after Graham tried to quit jeff wouldn't stop talking about it so Graham could just actually you could hear Graham getting weaker and weaker and weaker what a dickhead that jeff guy is you know it's like i think that that's that that you got to leave that cough in. I should copy that cough and actually sprinkle it throughout, um, so that it sounds like you are actually like you know like like I'm literally like just just tormenting you on your deathbed. So you're having a good day then, Jeff. Uh, it, as of about five minutes ago, it turned the corner into <laughs> Greatville. Let me tell you, <laughs> Greatville.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, listeners, we're, we're really quitting it here because Jeff has a hard stop that he seems to keep forgetting about. And yes. then what'll happen is we'll stop recording and Jeff will be like, Oh shit, I've got to go. Yeah. Which completely. is what happened last time. Um, yes. we will be back in two weeks, yes. uh, with a fantastic four episode with a Baxter building.
0: Yes. And yes. then,
1: and then the week after that, so three weeks from when you're listening to this now, uh, we will be back with a, Irregular episode, and I'm going to make two promises to you, listeners. One. Okay. Well, two promises and a quasi-promise. My quasi-promise is I really hope I'll be healthy by then. Yes. Here's hoping. Uh, promise number one. Uh, in the next regular episode three weeks from now, Jeff and I will have read uh, the Legion of Superheroes issues that uh, Andrew Barrow wants us to read. Ah yes. You, no, see you he, mean, pl- he pledged so much.
0: Empress uh I was gonna say Lucy, but is it Lucy or is it not? Oh I've forgotten her name as well. Audrey Audrey Audrey, Empress Audrey, yes, exactly. Good. Yes. Way to support um, the yeah, patron so, there, bro. Jeff.
1: We 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 will we will do that. That three weeks from now we will be talking um the first twelve issues of the one year later. No, five years later, sorry. Uh Legion of Superheroes <laughs> run from nineteen eighty nine. Uh, promise number two For the episode three weeks from today Yes We will actually finally get around To picking a winner From the Rogue Trooper contest Yes Which we forgot again To I do know, this time
0: I know um,
1: Because we've forgotten People Just keep entering If you want the Rogue Trooper Seriously thing. Come on Names of biochips For yeah. us uh, And where you'd put us and just feel free to be nuts at this point because Jeff and I have screwed this up by not selecting winners for the last two episodes. So you really you could just half ass it and get your still get your name and that's that's our reward to you. Yeah, you've got listener.
0: you've got a choice, yes. <laughs> Brian Brian Ruckley will shoot us on site and you have the chance to to win a rogue trooper paperback. He will you shoot us on site with me. Gunner. Ah, there we go.
1: Nope. Yeah. With Gunner. Helm will be some smart ass comment. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen It's been a pleasure for us I hope it's been a pleasure for you We'll speak to you in two weeks When we're doing Baxter Building For those reading along That's issues 13 to 24 Of the Fantastic Four Um, And otherwise Jeff, would you like to sing us out soon
0: as my throat is gone? I know, it would be really bad to make you do it But believe me people You're not going to get anything any better from me So,
2: Bye (laughs) (laughs) sex is terrible
0: you <laughs> can <laughs>
1: you can't cover as well jesus <laughs>